So, Berto, let me ask you a question. Can I ask you a question? Only one. Is Liam Neeson a racist? Oh, absolutely. A raging, a raging homo. Oh, wait, what was the question? So, have you heard about the whole Liam Neeson thing? I did, yes. So, you know, no one, in my opinion, I don't know about your opinion, but my opinion is that, you know, a lot of people are talking about Liam Neeson and yep. the racist comments. I, I find that very few people are talking about it in a nuanced way. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there are some, but absolutely, the, the, the primary narrative on whatever side you you heard was extreme. Right. Depending on the ideology or the propaganda that you are subject to, you are either completely outraged that Liam Neeson is a terrible racist, or you're defending him and you're saying that he's a victim of snowflake PC culture. That's right. I think both sides are misguided. It sounds like you do too, Berto. Oh, yeah. So I want to sift through this and possibly explain the context for why many people are really upset about his statements and the context for why many people are confused about the outrage. And I want to answer the ultimate question, is Liam Neeson a racist? This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, a professor, and I'm a person of color. Who are you, Berto? Uh, my name is Humberto Castaneda, and I clean pools, but only in the winter. And you're also a person of color. I'm also a person of colorful things. So Liam Neeson was promoting his movie Cold Pursuit, which is a movie about a father who avenges the death of his son. Sounds very familiar, kind of like uh, Taken. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be typecasted. I have one skill in acting. <laughs> I mean, even going back to 1990, Darkman, you, we could say that was a re, that was a revenge yeah. movie. Yeah. 1995, Rob Roy. Did you ever see that one? Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I did not. But I know what, which one it is. Yeah. That was a, a revenge movie as yeah. well, essentially. Then, of course, you got Taken. The Gray, which is not revenge per se, but it's right. tough guy. Because I have this association with Liam Neeson as more of the 90s Liam Neeson or, right. or Qui-Gon Jinn. But like young people, it's sort of like Christopher Walken. People see Christopher Walken as a super tough guy because in his later career, he played a lot of tough guys. Yeah. But I see, I see him as a dead zone guy. You know, sure. Christopher yeah. Walken, to me, was a soft-spoken, right. nice guy. Right. Same with Liam Neeson. Whereas now it's like, you no, know. No, I'm the same. I actually was uh, fascinated. I got into a debate a f- few years ago about Liam Neeson, you know, someone I was talking to is like, yeah, no, I'm, you know, action stars like Liam Neeson. And I said, is he though? And they're like, yeah. And then they listed tons of movies he's in, been in where he is an action star. Right. And I was like, well, I guess you're right, but I just don't think of him that way. Right. You know? It's sort of like with um, Al Pacino to a certain generation right. is like the gregarious actor from Heat or from sure. Scent of a Woman. Whereas older people associate him with the Godfather, more quiet, Dog like. Day Afternoon, yeah. you know, more subtle, you know. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Liam Neeson in an interv- interview about you know coming up to his uh, the release of Cold Pursuit, he was asked about how he tapped into the character of this father who avenges the death of his son, which I'm guessing you know he's probably been asked that a lot of times and thought about it a lot of times because he's been playing yeah. a lot of revenge type characters and so that prompted him to tell a story that helped him get into the mindset of the character a story from 40 years ago so i just want to 
you know, right. r- remind people that this was 1979 right. when this occurred. Right. One of his female friends told him that she had been raped by an unknown brutally, black, brutally raped by an unknown black man. So, if a friend comes to him and right. is like, you know, I was recently raped brutally right. by somebody and then Liam Neeson's like, well, you know, is there any identifying markers? And she's like, well, I didn't really get a good look at him, but I know he was black. Yeah. Plus so, he didn't, he didn't mention this, but I sort of read in between and obviously I could be wrong, but I mean, he, he might've been romantic with her and that might've added to his rage. Oh, that they were, he said was, a like friend, a, but he, she might've been a girlfriend. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. So now, Cut to the chase. I'm not. We're not going to defend Liam Neeson's statements. We are. Oh no, no. I'm not. I'm only not going to defend anyone at any point trying to take actions on some random stranger to try to injure or kill them based on a story they heard. Right. What <laughs> I think maybe, and I will get to what your position is over yeah. time, but I'll just get cut to the chase. And my position yeah. is more of a middle ground position rather than defending him or hating him. So I'm just going to read what he said. Um, I know a set of skills. And, no, just yeah, 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 that's what he said. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I went up, so this is after he hears about this, and this is him being interviewed on TV. I think it was TV. Um, I went up and down areas with a kosh. So that's some sort of Irish a, a, a club, a, well, a stick. Well, no, when I was younger, we called it a sap. It, um, it's like um, it's it's like a a hard thing inside of a hard leather, uh, oh. uh, like strappy thing. So, oh, okay. so more specific I, than a stick, right? It's not rigid. So the end of it is really hard, like a, uh-huh. like a piece of stone or metal or something, but it's bendy, but it's bendy. And so the idea is, is you, you hit someone over the head. Oh, with you can it. kill someone with that. Okay. Right. So I went up and down areas with a kosh, hoping I'd be approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard, and he uses air quotes, he says black bastard, hoping some black bastard would come out and come out of a pub and have a go at me about something so that I could kill him. Right. It was horrible, horrible that I did that. And I've never admitted that. And I'm saying it now to a journalist. God forbid. It was awful. But I did learn a lesson from it when I eventually thought, what the fuck are you doing? It shocked me and it hurt me. I did seek help. I went to a priest. I aired my confession. And believe it or not, power walking helped me two hours every day to get rid of this. I'm not a racist. This was 40 years ago. Thoughts about what he's saying here, Berto? My meta point on all this, I'll just give it right off the bat. And I might get a lot of hate about this. Like, I think... You getting hate? You don't (laughs) care. We all have to start realizing that... Most people that engage in dialogue online and publicly today are just not very smart and they cannot deal with nuance, subtlety, gray zones. Uh, They don't understand context. They just don't. And so if you want to be honest and talk about your history like I do, beware, (laughs) buyer beware, because it's going to be like, well, no, I just told you what I thought when I was 12 in a moment. And you're, and then people are going to be like, well, then you're, st- you're still evil. But it's like, okay, well then, and, and of course, no one has the self-reflection in those moments to sit there and go like, 
wait, what are all those horrible thoughts I had all my life, including last week and just now? No one does that, right? Um, not to mention, and this, this is the other thing that gets really dicey, right? So we want to impose our, our current uh, standards of what's right and what's wrong retroactively on everyone. And, and what's, what's interesting about that is that to some extent we have to, certainly when the law has, uh, c- crimes that don't expire, like a murder or something like that. Like with um, Bill Cosby. Or Bill Cosby, right? Or even if they do have crimes that expire, maybe, uh, socially or economically may, might still want to have some repercussions for those things, right? Uh, but, but it's like there's no gradient. It seems like it's an all or nothing. So someone tells a story about some way they felt when he, how old is Liam Neeson? Like in his 60s? 66. So he was 20 something? 26. 26, right. A 26 year old. I remember when I was like 26. Um, pretty new and a time in the world where the world was certainly, I mean, if we're dealing with racism actively these days, imagine in the 70s, right? In Ireland, a hotbed of, of, of like conflict and strife and violence, right? And he's sitting there and, and a friend or girlfriend of his just tells him this brutal story and he goes out in this rage and he just wants to lash out at whoever is part of that group that in his mind hurt her, right? And so it was that thought partially racist? Of course, like he grew or uh, in the sense that he grouped a whole category of people into that, that wrong that she told him about, right? Right. To put a, to put a fine point on that. He could have said, well, how tall was he? Absolutely. Or what accent did he And I'm going to look for tall bastards to come in. Absolutely. Right. Why focus right. on the... So, his, of course, it was yeah. racist. And, and I, I believe him that he's not a racist. But, of course, at the time, of course, at the time, in his cultural context, he had racist thoughts. And I say, of course, because I grew up with people that were racist, and I didn't realize it. I've told these stories where, like, when I was in Colombia, I, I, I thought, well... I didn't really even think about racism. Racism wasn't a word that we talked about. It wasn't a topic that got brought up. In school in Colombia, we didn't study slavery. We didn't really talk about racism. That that was not a thing we talked about. And so I kind of grew up thinking, oh, yeah, here we are. When I moved up to this country and I heard a lot about racism, and I thought, wow, yeah, that's horrible. Uh, And one time when some friends from Colombia were visiting in Florida and we were all there, uh, one of them lived in Florida, and he was talking about all these damn N-word people that he works with, and he has to manage, and how horrible it was. And I was sitting there, and I, and I say to him, and I'm like, oh, and a couple of the others kind of laughed a bit, and I'm like, that, do you not realize, like, in this country, we are minorities, we are discriminated against, like... But it, it was the first time I really thought. And then I remembered a whole bunch of stuff from my youth that I had just kind of like glossed over. You know, things I think I've mentioned. There was only one Asian boy in our school. Right. And he was discriminated terribly now, against. To be clear, this doesn't excuse the behavior. But what it does is it provides context. You know, the way you're describing it, it's like there was no choice or little choice for you as a 15, you know, 10-year-old kid in Colombia to – either passively accept racist attitudes or or even participate in them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or, or take another example, homophobia. Yeah. When I was a child, uh, I mean, I moved when I was 15. All the way up until that point in Colombia, absolutely, it was not okay to be gay. 
Yeah. It, it was wrong societally, religiously, everything. Right. I'm going to get to my thought. I think my thoughts are a little bit different than yours. Um, not entirely, but a yeah. little bit different. And we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, along the, the lines of homophobia, I am just reminded as you're talking of this um, – I'll spare the details, but there was a moment where someone had tremendous power over me, mm-hmm. tremendous power over my career, my life. And they had got their hands on a paper that I wrote in graduate school when I was 24 years old, right. 20 years prior. Yeah. And they read in that paper a admission that I had made to a professor. Just I thought the paper would just be read by that professor right. – in 1995, right, right. I was writing it to that professor who who was gay, by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm heterosexual. I had said that as a teenager, sim- similar stories right. you're telling. I grew up in a heterosexist cu- culture in the 70s and 80s, and had exhibited and had absorbed and even parroted heterosexist notions and and statements. So it's, it wasn't very in-depth, but I, I just said something sure. like that. And then I said as I went to college and actually met right. out, out of the closet gay people and then discovered many of my high school friends were, were, were gay as well, it, my attitudes flipped like a switch. I remember yeah. it, I, I was 18 years old, 19 years old, and I, I met the first – Person to person, but he was bisexual. But I think he had anyway. Instantly, I was like, "Oh, oh!" All those attitudes <laughs> make no sense. Having met this one person, all these attitudes completely gone, and I never looked back. Now I've internalized heterosexism in the same way that gay people have internalized heterosexism and homophobia. Right. But uh, but anyway, so this person who had power over me had read this in my mm-hmm. paper and had actually consequenced me and for a time ruined my life oh my god claiming that this this showed that i was a homophobe right that i was dangerous not only because i i wrote something 20 years ago about something 40 years ago yeah (laughs) you know and in the in that paper i write about how i was wrong right in the same way that liam neeson is here you know now What's different about what Liam Neeson did, which I'll get to later in more depth, is it the way he responded afterwards didn't help because on some level we can empathize with what, with what or relate to what he's saying, but he didn't actually acknowledge the wounds that he that he poked at when he was saying this. He's and I don't think he's aware of it. Yeah. And he should be aware of it as someone who has access to the internet and has access to other people who might be able to explain it to him, especially with all the content. But anyway, before we get to that, I want to read some more things here. So there there were some reactions to what he said right away. People are saying, uh, quote, you are a representative of racial terror, they would say. And these are all short reactions, right? Another person, you are no hero for your admission. Another person, the whole Liam Neeson thing is so disturbing and such an indictment of the casual manifestation of white supremacy in our society. Another quote, love how the whites are sticking up for him. But if I said I wanted to kill a random white person because whites always shoot up schools and churches, y'all would lose your mind, unquote. 
Some people have asked that he be digitally removed from films that have yet to be released. Any thoughts about these reactions, Berto? So well, the one aspect that I, that I agree with and that I don't usually think about is um, the fact that when you, do st- when you do tell personal stories about stuff that you've done that has been bad <laughs> or, uh, or unjust or uninformed or all of these things, uh, if someone hears it and that person is in a category or has had experiences that get triggered by that, well, that, that is hurtful, you know, and uh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't really know what Liam Neeson could have done differently other than not tell his story. Now, the reaction after the fact, I haven't heard it. So, so that might be uh, something to definitely consider. But when he told the story, I heard it. I heard it several times. And I was thinking, was there some way he could have couched it more or, or explained the thing that people don't seem to be getting about it? But I thought, well, yes, but... But then I, I think the net conclusion, and this is where I really get fearful, is shut up. Don't talk about your past. Don't bring it up. Just pretend you've always been this woke. If when in doubt, maybe that's a good idea. Um, I, it doesn't seem right. It's terrible. No well, one will learn from that. I, we can learn in other ways. There, there are situations where the wounds are so deep and so fresh and – so sensitive that there are some things that it's just it's hard like an example is I was talking with a trans friend of mine and I was having a hard time remembering to use the they pronoun yeah this was a couple years ago a few years ago I still have trouble with it my neurons it's just hard for me to get used to I'm getting more used to it I feel like I'm at the 85% range right now but at the time, I was more at the 10% range. Sure. And every time I would talk with them or refer to them or talk about another trans person who uses they, them pronouns, I was messing up. I was yeah. saying she or he or something. Yeah. And I would uh, – and I would you know, instantly put my head in my hands and say, oh, my god, I can't stop doing it. It's so yeah. hard for me. I'm sorry. And – I would catch myself right away or when I right. managed to catch myself. And to me, I'm like, I'm giving it my best shot here. I'm trying. Right. I don't know what else I can do aside from beat myself every time I make a make – a, uh, which I was kind of doing verbally and, yeah, yeah. and, and sh- you know, shaming myself. Well, my, my trans friend eventually was just like, I can't deal with this right now. Like right. – and was rejecting of me about it okay. in a sense. I'll spare the details. But essentially just like the message was go away, figure this out, and then come back. Sure. <laughs> once, you've, once you've figured this out, you know, once sure. you get your neurons aligned, I don't want to talk to you anymore. That was not the yeah. exact message, but that was sure, kind sure. of the message. And at the time, I'm like, well, wait a second. I'm, I'm one of the good guys. I'm right. one of the allies. I'm trying really hard here. But quickly, you know, I'm thinking in my typical philosophical stance is most people act rationally, and if we understand where they're coming from, then we get why they're doing what they're doing. So right. even though I thought their behavior was irrational or unreasonable or too yeah. sensitive or something, when I think about all the times that this person has to has had to deal with this and how it's just a, a – imagine if I took a toothpick and just – 
started jabbing you in the cheek with a toothpick. Sure. Not super hard, but you know, the the first 10 times you'd be like, "Huh, well, that's that's unpleasant." The thousandth time, the ten thousandth time, you'll you're you'll want to kill me, right? You'll well, or the next person that comes along with a toothpick. Sure. So, the the issue is is for people who are not in that group who have that wound to understand that. And so, with Liam Neeson, for example, I don't know. I don't know the answer as to whether or not he should have known this or not, but he definitely should have known it the next day. And the response as, you know, getting to your question, like, what could he have said? Well, what he could have said the next day or even later that evening, whenever it started blowing up. Well, I meant that. What could he have said differently when he said the story? Well, and before saying it on international TV, he probably should have said, there's a there's a red flag here. I should probably run this by a a black person and see how they feel about this statement because maybe there's a an old wound there that I need to I need to account for before saying this. I'm not quite sure. I mean, he did know enough that it was a shameful thing and that it was race-based, but because he's a white guy from Ireland, he doesn't understand white people in America barely understand this too. So, what he could have said was something along these lines. Because what he did say afterwards was, I'm not a racist, and essentially claiming that everyone has thoughts like this, but PC culture prevents them from saying it, which is sort of true. But what he could have said was, I'm (laughs) I'm terribly sorry. I had no idea what historical horrible traumas I was triggering talking about a story like this. I have since learned the history of of black people, black men in particular, being targeted with violence and murder upon being uh, scapegoated or accused falsely of rape. There is a long history going back hundreds of years of lynchings, beatings, famous cases going up until recent times. Even Even just last year, there are there are cases like this that we can get into. And man, did I step in it. And I am so sorry that my – all I wanted to do was answer a question about my stupid movie. And boy, did I hurt a lot of people's feelings, and I'm sorry. And you know what? I've always been slightly racist. I was raised racist. I had a racist moment in that moment, and I still – catch myself having racist thoughts and I and I've been working on that my whole life. And I'm just really really sorry. He, that is not what he said. Right. And then, by the way, that would have worked great with you and and people like me and others. It, he would have still gotten the, the hate. In fact, then they would have been upset about that because they're like, "Oh, so you're still racist. You're admitting it. So you're even worse than we thought." Maybe. But I, 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 I would but I would like to think cuz plenty of soup now, we don't want to characterize people who hate Liam Neeson's statements as all irrational. I think there are two groups of those people. I think there are some of them that are, the way you're characterizing them, who are overreactive and black and white thinkers and unsophisticated gray area people. But there are plenty of people who I completely agree with who look at what he's done and his response as not being very sensitive. Which is totally fair. I certainly not heard everyone's responses, so I am... What I'm I'm specifically responding to is the comments that I have seen and heard of the nature that are... 
um, not even about his re-response, just about the original statement. And and it's okay. To, as a parenthesis, here's where I would personally fault the original statement. If I were doing this, I would say, "Wait, hold on, man. We asked you what's your inspiration for this action movie, and you just dropped." an admission of like this cultural background you come from and some really horrible thoughts you had and stuff. And so that trivializes it because we just asked you about an inspiration for this movie. Right. And you use this very weighty thing. Now, the fact that that is true doesn't save you from the repercussions. And so, A, as his PR agent, as his advisor, as his counselor, all these things, certainly be like, hey, FYI, not the great strategy. First of all, you're responding to just a trivial question. Here. Right. Well, like, he could have told the story. Uh, it's Everything's the same, but just not mention the fact that there was a black person. He could have just said, sure. I went out looking to beat sure. up a, a man. And, and, and or the difference would be, hey, this is a movie about racial tensions and racial stuff. And then he's like, well, I, I'm super embarrassed to admit this, or I'm terrified to admit this, but I grew up at a time and a place where, unfortunately, and here's my own horrific like ordeal that I was horrible about in right. Blah, blah, blah. And right. as you say that, I'm now realizing another massive hole in his state original statement and the follow up statements yeah. that I've come across in that he he said he was horrified by and ashamed yeah. of his thoughts and behaviors at the time. But he didn't say why it's not clear if he's horrified and ashamed because, about the racist aspect of it. Right. Yeah. It's clear he's horrified and ashamed that he went out trying to mess someone, an yeah. innocent person up right. for a guilty person's right. actions. Right. That's clear. But it, he, it could have been that he didn't even make the connection yeah. because he goes on to say, uh, this is his response a day or two later. I'm not a racist. If she had said an Irish or a Scot or a Brit or a Lithuanian, I now I, I know I would have had the same effect. Uh, I was trying to show honor to stand up for my dear friend in this terrible medieval fashion. Yep. Then Liam Neeson goes on. We all pretend we're all politically correct, but sometimes you just scratch the surface and you discover this racism and bigotry. No, I, I so I totally agree with him there. First of all. All you have to do is look around nowadays at everywhere you look. Uh, take, just go to a Seahawks game. People are very quick to form alliances in all sorts of uh, categories. Oh, you're not from the U.S. We're going to have to build a wall. Oh, uh, you're not. Your I just moved to the city, but your team is from the city I moved from. But now I hate that team. Like This happens so easily for humans. They form alliances. So I absolutely believed that if it had been a Southern Irish dude, that would have been the category. If it had been a Scottish, that would have been the category. I don't know. I don't. I, it obviously could be true, and you're making a case for it. I mean, they hate the English. The English hate the French. The French hate the Germans. But somehow, <laughs> somehow, I, I could imagine that, say it was a white guy, she yeah. says... I, I, you know, I didn't really see his face. What was, you know, any descriptors? Well, he was sort of a tall white guy. I, I don't, you know, did he have a Scottish accent? She's like, yeah, I think he might have had a Scottish accent. And then he's going to go out and try to beat up a Scottish guy. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <I buy it. laughs> what, uh, the black thing 
is a thing. Oh, totally. And that, listen. The, the I, fear of black men yes. having sex with white women is a thing. Sure, but but just just let's keep in mind that all of Europe tore each other to shreds not over black people. Well, yeah, as you say at the for, time. For 2,000 years. Right. I, what's strange to us Americans, because often our enemies are browner than, right. than the white people in the United States, is there are plenty of places around the world where violence and, and um, you know, wars are fought between the same skin same tone. Same skin tone. And the Irish and the, and right. the Brits have, have, have been... Take, you know, take the Sunni and the Shia. Yeah. Like, not only same skin tone, same religion, give or take. Right. Right? So, I'm saying, absolutely, you're totally right. There is this horrible, grotesque history of of scapegoating a random black person. But right? for him to, again, even if it's true, right. even if he's like, no, I, I know my – in fact, that happened another time, and it was a Lithuanian guy, and I went out on with my kosh and decided, yeah. you know. But it – ignores the history, yeah. which we'll get into in a second. Yeah. But I, So I just want to go over some people's reactions. Spike Lee, the headlines were, Spike Lee won't cast Liam Neeson anymore. <laughs> and I just had to laugh at this. And then I looked it up and I was like, <sighs> Liam Neeson's never been in a Spike Lee movie and probably never would have been. He doesn't seem like the sort of character that would be in a Spike Lee movie. Um, and when I actually looked at the interview with Spike Lee as he was t- reacting to this, that doesn't really sum up his his statements that he was making. To me, it seems Spike Lee was wasn't as ex, as upset about it. It seemed like Spike Lee was sort of he was just asked off the cuff, and he he said something along the lines of, "Yeah, you know, things are pretty crazy." And geez, you know, I can't believe he said that. And you know, it, it didn't it didn't it was it was sort of not off the, the headline, <laughs> and he wasn't that ups, He didn't right, seem right. that upset about it because Spike Lee knows bigger there are bigger fish to fry than than this michelle rodriguez knew him from widows did you see the movie widows i don't know i didn't last year it's it's interesting movie actually i kind of liked it it's essentially a women heist movie okay but dark and kind of realistic in a lot of ways it it's and it has all these has all these factions of people that are intertwined and it's not what you would think anyway michelle rodriguez knew him from widows because liam neeson and michelle rodriguez were both in widows last year yeah michelle rodriguez says it's all fucking bullshit liam neeson is not a racist dude have you seen widows (laughs) his tongue was so far down viola davis's throat you can't call him a racist ever Racists don't make out with the race that they hate, especially in the way that he does with his tongue so deep down her throat. I don't care how good of an actor you are. It's all bullshit. Ignore it. He's not a racist. He's a loving man. It's all lies. Yeah, I mean, you haven't seen the movie. His, her and his tongue. There's this, there are, this, just to give you the tone of this movie, um, it is uh, extremely... Um, uh, like I said, sort of gritty and realistic. Yeah. And so Viola Davis and Liam Neeson are married in this movie and they show these intimate moments between the two of them. And when they're in bed and they're making out yep. and the camera doesn't turn away and their tongues are in full force, just kind of, right. in fact, I was thinking <laughs> as I'm watching the scene, I'm like, 
I wonder if either one of them was told to really jam their tongue and because <laughs> it, it seems like yeah. a lot like we're not talking like delicate <laughs> tongue touching we're talking like, like the deep. <laughs> yeah the kind of kissing where you're just shoving your shoving, tongue yeah. and but i mean for the, for me this is irrelevant because of course for, first relevant. of all it's called acting right. second there are billions of types of racism there's the actual type where it's like i'm this i'm so disgusted by this race that i can't even breathe the same air all the way to the i'm a white plantation owner who ha- regularly has sex and rapes all the black women and and they have my chi- my children right and so it's like whatever <laughs> right so now what i think michelle rodriguez thought at the time because i think she reacted really quickly yeah was that this would blow over really quickly, and sure. if she stuck up, and so it's for kind him, of a joke in a way. Yeah, I, th- I don't think she thought, okay, I'm going to make a really good argument. Right. I think she thought, well, I know this guy, yeah. and I interacted with him, at- and the statement's kind of a joke. It's like, right. you, did you see the tongue? Right. And she didn't realize this again because she's not black. Yeah. The sensitivity that people have to this to Is this. She not even half or anything. She's pretty dark looking. Uh. You know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I guess I should look it up. But I assume she's that she's Latina, right? Yeah, she's just like, as Latinas go, she's on the darker side. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so she got a lot of bad press and a lot of bad tweets. And so she responded to her response to Liam Neeson. And she said, to my friends and colleagues and my fans and community, I want to deeply apologize for my recent choice of words and poor use of example. In a pressure-field situation, I defended a friend in a wrong way. I now realize how insensitive it was, and I had no intention of invoking such a terrible historical comparison. I have learned, I have learned from this, and I will grow from it. One love, Emrod. Did you know she went by Emrod? Um, by the way, like I, so so I just want to say that no, I didn't know that she went by him. This it, this apology is, although extremely by the book probably written by a PR person, is uh, is better than Liam Neeson's apology. Sure. Because she at least mentions yep. the fact that there's a terrible historical situation yep. that is being invoked. I would just like, I, I would, here's what the power, you want to know what superpower I want? I want the superpower to... Let's take a break and when, you, when <laughs> okay. we get back, you can tell us about our superpower. All right, we're back from the break. Before we get to Umberto's superpower, superpower uh, if you haven't become a patron of the podcast yet, do so now. We Every time that someone becomes a patron, we get an email saying that you became a patron. And we put a lot of effort into this podcast, and so we, and it, we're, we're sort of alone here talking into our microphones. We don't know if you like what we're doing. We don't know if you appreciate it. Is there anybody out there? Yeah. Uh, plenty of people honestly do email and say they appreciate the podcast. But there, there's a very special kind of appreciation, acknowledgement that I get, we get, when we get an email saying someone becomes a patron. Yep. And so be the wind beneath our wings and become a patron at patreon.com. And you get access to hundreds of premium episodes, arguably our best episodes. So, Berto, what is the superpower that you were wanting? All right. So when when one of these controversies blows up, uh, even the ones that I, I do agree with, you know, like Roseanne Barr or whatever, you know, just pick pick one of the worst ones. I want the superpower that everyone that starts crucifying these people... I want to instantly expose their life in front of my eyes and find all the little moments that they would be 
not proud of because it's that whole throw the first stone. You know, mm. it, I seriously doubt that everyone throwing stones is this squeaky clean person their entire life, never had a context problem, never had a cultural background problem, never had a slip up. And I think to Liam's point, some of this is that people just don't talk about it. And or they're not famous enough. And when if they do talk about it, it was some bar with some dude and, and no one heard about it. Um, now, that's not to say that every action is, is equal. So if the story he had told was, yeah, and I saw he got so mad and I walked around with a kosh and this dude, this black bastard walked out of the thing <laughs> and I beat him to death with it. Wait, so famous patron Lyndon, who is Irish, is... Uh, if he was dead, he would be rolling in his, in his grave, in his yes. grave at your attempt at yes. it. Because that, that was an attempt at it. That wasn't my attempt. Whatever. But the point is, like, if his story had been, and then and then someone did, and then I beat him to death. Now my accent's changing, and I beat him to death, and blah blah blah. Okay, well, then that that changes everything. That's not only like like the most horrific thing you've heard told on on a story. Now the guy's got to go to jail for the rest of his life. And absolutely no more movies, no more anything. And now we know this guy was a monster and sad to know that when he was in his 20s, he murdered a man in cold blood. Right. Another point to this that I think is in line with what you're saying is the profound sadness and unbridled anger that one can feel when one finds out about one's loved one having been brutalized right. by another human being. This happened to me in, in college. I grew up as a man, as a boy, having extremely low awareness of the kinds of sexual abuse and brutalization that people can go through. I li- right. grew up in an extremely coddled suburban world. And although I'm sure it was going on around me, had just almost no awareness of it. I go to college and start meeting more people, older people. People start being more honest. I start getting closer to people. And I'll never forget this woman tells me about being brutalized by three boys in in, uh, high school. Oh, my God. She's at a party in high school. and, And then she had to see these boys every day at school afterwards, you know? And that is insane. And I am, I'm, I'm so shocked and I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, how were you alive? How how did you survive that? It was so incomprehensible. It was like some kind of fantasy story that I was hearing. And, And, and it wouldn't have been, and it wasn't the last by any means, especially when I became a therapist as a, as a man who had never been through anything like that, I, I just it just never occurred to me that that I mean I'd heard about stories, but it just didn't, I didn't right. think it really happened, especially to people I knew or something. Right, normal people. <laughs> and I could tell that she was still upset about it, still affected by it. I was so upset and so unregulated, so I decompensated. Mm-hmm. I freaked out. Right now, I didn't vow to go out on the streets and hurt hurt someone, but I can relate to the rage. I was so angry and so I didn't know what to do. And well, yeah. so I'll say at the risk of incurring Liam Neeson's 
you know, the hatred that he experienced. Here we go. I did fantasize. I never went out with a kosh, but I did in my head fantasize about tracking these guys down and hurting them somehow. Now they were oh, just because they were rapists. <laughs> Are you they, a rapist? They were three white guys. Because I, 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 yeah. I re- and I remember asking her like. Can you give me their – and this is before Facebook. By the way, there's a big difference between wanting to go after the actual perpetrators of a crime than going after a random person of the similar category. Right. So I will say that – so I can relate at least on that level. And I also became violent with my own college dorm room to the point where I caused serious – serious wow. structural damage. Oh. I mean, everything was fine in the end, uh, I guess. Yeah. But I destroyed oh. my, my... I was so angry. I was yeah. so upset about it. So in, in that context, which right. I don't think Liam Neeson really fully explained, yeah. I, I can relate. Now, I, I've, I can't relate to that sort of thing of... Because any thing, random person that comes out, or any random person from this race, or any yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I, I can't relate to that one, and and yeah. and you know some people anyway. So Trevor Noah defended him as a African person from South Africa. Yeah, I do think it was a powerful admission. I hope he and people who hear the story understand the gravity of what he's saying, and that is. If you are not careful, you can have you can have inside of you a hatred that is encouraged or grown by the society that you live in, and you don't even realize how disgusting that idea is. For me, that's the world I want to live in. I want to live in a world where a person who said something like this is ashamed of it. So, in essence, Trevor Noah is like, I want to live in a world where these sorts of racist or these sorts of people who have racist thoughts admit it and are ashamed of yeah. it. I'd rather live in that world yeah. than the world that I've experienced yeah. as as a as a African as a dark person, right. a person uh, of color in the United States and in Africa where people hide these notions yeah. and are not ashamed of it yeah. or uh, you know advertise them and are not ashamed of it. And, and by the way, some some folks made some interesting points as well that I think relate here, which are that we as a society have become comfortable with the notion that if someone commits a crime and they go to jail and they pay whatever they get assigned to pay is like 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is, that when they come out, they are allowed to work again and reintegrate into society. Now, the families they hurt, they probably will never be okay with it. They'll probably, but as a society, we say, okay, well, sucks that you did that, but you, we society say you've paid your dues. You're now allowed to reintegrate into society. I think that's an optimistic view of people's attitudes. I'm not talking about people's attitudes. I mean, legally speaking, that is oh. how we are. And, 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 and meaning that person, if someone's like, I'm not going to offer you a job because of the things you did 20 years ago, they, they could sue for discrimination because they're not allowed to do, to feel that way publicly, uh, out loud, I, I should say. Okay. So, at the same time, this is for a, a thing that someone said they thought about doing 40 years ago. And people are calling for his removal out of movies today <laughs> and, and, and not looking at the track record in those 40 years. Did he ever actually do something? Did he continue to do this? Has he said other statements? What do people that know him say? Nothing. 
And it's a self-admission. Well, so, so, which I get. But on another hand, in our public discourse, because it is so hard, which I would love to create social change on a nuanced case-by-case basis, we sometimes unfortunately are forced to set up examples like Rosa Parks, for example. There were many people in the South who were discriminated against in various ways under Jim Crow laws. But we needed a scapegoat in the or an example or a hero or something in among many uh, several other heroes and examples that we identified at the time to highlight what is much more of a macro problem than an individual problem and right but that see that's connected to the problem but but this my, wouldn't be but this my isn't. point i don't again my thesis is that the reaction to Liam Neeson was both overblown and the defense was overblown. Well, it's counterproductive. Well, so, but I wonder though, because. Well, what's the lesson it, you would take? Like, let's say you say, let's say we agreed that the reaction is justified. Right. What so, is the, yeah. what is the lesson? Uh, well, uh, my point is, is that, which I'll get to later, is, is that the lessons aren't very well articulated by anybody. But. It's possible that through things like this, people will, as we, as some people get sacrificed on the altar, shall we say, our society will slowly progress forward, even though in those each moments of incremental movement and um, hypocrisy and confusion, they are ill-conceived and ill-executed, uh, but we are hope this this thing might actually help a little bit, you know, us moving down the road. I, I completely disagree. Well, I, neither one of us know the answer to that but, question. But the, re- the reason I completely disagree is because in, in this case, it, it, I see it as a definite incentive to keep your mouth shut. If you ever had thoughts like this, don't grow from that. So keep your mouth shut. It depends on the message, right? So Trevor Noah is trying to put forth the notion that it is hopefully not that that that's not the message, right? So so maybe some maybe a few people, a percentage of people heard Trevor Noah and walked away with a different But his perspective sounds very good. That's what I'm saying like yeah. So maybe the people listening to him and the people listening to us right now, because of what happened, yeah. will walk away with a different lesson learned. Right. But that's because Liam said something. If he had said nothing, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Yeah. So I'm saying that the lesson should be absolutely talk about shit that you used to do that was terrible and that you grew about. Yeah. Because if you don't, we don't get examples to learn from. So what I'm saying is, even though a lot of bad things have happened yeah. that are unfair to Liam Neeson and a lot of bad messages have been put out there, there are some, maybe some good messages that are being put out there that are being learned by some people. I don't know a percentage, let's say a minority, <laughs> but I, my point is, is that it's rare that I see that there are 
extremely clean steps down the road of progress. You know, we tend to whitewash things, excuse the term, of the past. Yeah. Like when Ellen came out on her show as being gay. Right. We simplify that as this, she came out and it was glorious in it. And everyone was like, yay. That was not what happened. It, it was a shit storm at the time. Yep. And lots of progressive people were wringing their hands going, I don't know if this is actually helping us move forward. Of course, there were some people who were saying it was absolutely helping us move forward. But there are other people, that, even gay people, who were just like, I don't want people to think of Ellen when they think of a gay person. Like, that is, you know, like, there, there was a lot of discourse, is my point. And, but it was, it was great that she came out. Well, so maybe in the future, there will be a, 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 you know, 30 years from now, we'll remember that moment when Trevor Noah said, da, 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 da. No, 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 no. See, this is where we disagree. I'm saying the great thing is that Liam said it. And that we have to or fight. That. Or that. And that we have to fight against the people that are trying to shut down that discourse. Or that. Maybe yeah. 30 years from now, they'll remember when Umberto said the following <laughs> thing in response to Liam Neeson's thing. <laughs> and we learned our lesson. We The point is, is I, I, I'm, I'm not so sh- Whenever I see stuff like this, I'm not so sure that we're doomed. No, I agree. Fine. I agree with you. I'm saying that we do have to be active participants in the historical moment. And I choose to be on the side that says, hey, you guys trying to shut up people trying to come out of the closet with bad shit? Shut up. Right. Let them talk. Fine. Agree with them that, yes, that was horrible and monstrous. Do you still feel this way? Oh, you don't? You haven't? You haven't for 40 years? No one that knows you says that? You never actually did anything? Oh, okay. Well, that was still horrible. And leave it. And when someone actually comes out and says, yeah, I grab them by the pussy all the time because I'm famous, then you don't leave it. Well, that's the whole hypocrisy of this whole thing. <laughs> it's just like some people get sacrif- sacrificed and other people become president. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg said, people walk around sometimes with rage. That's what happens. Is he a bigot? No. I've known him a pretty long time. I think I would have recognized. I've been, a- I've been around a lot of real bigots before. So Whoopi Goldberg stuck stuck out for him. Um, there's some reports, rumors that his health isn't doing so well as a result of all this hoopla. Now, their conservative response that I read in different articles, they defend Liam Neeson or defend, I don't know, whatever they're defending. And there's this term called offensive, uh, offense archaeology. Yeah. Uh, offense archaeology, which yeah. we can intuit what that means. They will, they will point out things that you've been pointing out, which is, that he was using it for a role. He wasn't saying this is what is good. He was confessing it. Um, like it was never discovered. He didn't have to talk about it. Right. So he shouldn't, we shouldn't hate him for having confessed something he didn't have to disclose. And he completely admitted as he was telling the story that he was ashamed of it. Right. And also that people on the left are a bunch of oversensitive snowflakes. But this is the other problem with this. This overreaction to his coming out like this, it gives ammunition to all these horrible troglodytes who sit there and now will compare this to the justice dude. It's like, you see, just like Kavanaugh, 
They dig up all this stuff from his past, just like poor old Liam Neeson. Like, these are not the same thing. No, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I think, again, my whole thing here is we need a gray, nuanced discourse around this. We can't just look at this thing and have a tweet of a response that will sum up what's happening in this moment. So... Now, let me go into more detail about why people were upset about what about what he said. So we've already talked about it, but our society has a long, long history of this sort of thing. A white woman claims that she was raped by a black man and a group of white men or a group or one white man. They hit the streets and they try to find any black man and any black man. They just they just find anyone or they find the accused without knowing if it's true or not. And they capture him. They abuse him. They might even kill him. They might even lynch him. Many of the lynchings in the South were due to this sort of stuff. A black man would just look at a white woman and get lynched about this. And this was happening until recent times. In fact, it's morphed into a, a form of thing that's still happening today that we'll get into in a second. It's almost a cliche. It's a sick, true cliche. This, the thing that Liam Neeson touched on is this sick cliche in our society. Yep. You know, It's like blackface or something, right? Like, it, it, it would be as if Liam Neeson brought up blackface and he's like, what? Like, how come everyone's so sensitive about this? It's like, this is a cliche. You know? Now, so let's look at exactly what he said here again. I went up and down the areas with a kosh, hoping I'd be approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard, quote unquote, would come out of a pub and I'd, and have a go with me about something so I could kill him. Right. He didn't say that I would have a go at him back or I'd, or I'd yeah. beat him up. He said I was going to kill him. I was going to murder an innocent person for the actions of, of another person. Um, and again, his, re, his, his response was, I'm not racist. If she had said an Irish, a Scot, a Brit, a Lithuanian, I know I would have had the same effect. It would have had the same effect. I was trying to show honor to stand up for my dear friend who, uh, in, this, in this terrible medieval uh, fashion. Right. So again, it's not, it's not a convincing response. It doesn't, it doesn't respond to the history, which I, I want to go into some some famous cases. There's a famous case from 1955, Emmett Till. Have you heard of him? I have. Uh, 14 years old. Wasn't there a movie or something? I believe so. Yeah. 14 years old, Mississippi, a white woman accused Emmett of sexually... So he's 14. Isn't this Mississippi burning? Or is that different? It might be. I think it. Okay, but go ahead. Uh, A white woman accused Emmett of sexually harassing her at a store. He's 14. 14 years old boy. She's 20 years old. So she randomly says that boy over there grabbed me and said something lewd to me and yeah. blah, 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 blah. And sa- and something along the lines of, you know, he grabbed my waist. He said this lewd comment, like he wanted to fuck me. And he said he had, he fucks white women all the time or just this really outrageous right. kind of statement. Her husband and a group of other white men kidnap him. Now these white men, I don't know, but they didn't just do this without the cultural precedent of this sort of thing happening. Right. They didn't invent this activity. They were like, well, let's resort to what we always do in the South, in Mississippi, 
we get a posse together. We've been doing this for hundreds of years. Right. And we get him and we kill him. And so they get him. They beat him up for a long time. They gouge out his eyes and they shot him in the head twice and they threw him in the river. There was a trial. The white man actually confessed to grabbing him and this sort of thing. So it wasn't like it was This is definitely not Mississippi. And uh, (laughs) guess what? No consequences. Yeah. Even if it was true, which it wasn't, that he did this to this 20-year-old woman, what the F? Right. So to protest this, they actually did an open casket funeral that was published in Jet Magazine that you can actually look online to find the pictures of Emmett Till. His face... I remember this, though. His face is mutilated. Yeah. And they have an and the parents are standing over the open oh. open casket. Sweet looking kid before this, 14 years old. And this was one of the one of the events that sparked uh the civil rights movement, you know, in the South. So the reason why this sparked a civil rights, you know, was one of the events that led to the civil rights movement in the 60s was because this shit happened all the time yeah. and it had been happening for decades. Yeah. This is a thing. Liam Neeson is talking about a thing that white people have been doing for 200, 300 years. And he's not just talking about it, you know, he's talking about his own experience, but he just happens to be talking about something that is this practice that white people have been doing to black people for a long time. Totally, totally 100% agree. And that was where he he just had a cultural, historical blind spot. But by the next day... He, he should could have, have, he could have filled known that about it. Absolutely. Totally agree. At the same time, I also totally agree with him because as I was pointing out, uh, yeah, it's been 200, 300 years of that, thousands of years of one tribe enslaving other tribes, thousands of years of the same people killing the same people or the, or the slightly different people killing the other slightly different people. So there is a meta-human problem about groups. And this is why I get so scared with jingoism and MAGA hats and stuff like that, because there is a meta problem that, yes, it, it at times spikes with a specific like race or a specific uh, problem, but it is not exclusively, oh, yeah, it's that white people towards black. That's where the only problem is. It is absolutely a, a, a grouping problem. If you're from my group, fine. If you're not from my group, Oh my gosh, we're gonna lynch you and mob you. And and if you happen, the more, the least like us you happen to look like or sound, the easier it is for us to group you. And I don't know if this is contradictory to what you're saying or in line with it or just a side comment is that this particular uh, atrocity is recent in people's yes, minds. There yeah, are people totally. alive who totally. were around when Emmett Till and other people this happened to. In fact, I'll get to cases where it's basically still happening. Uh, sorry, the, is, is, the, the, the oh, yeah. Romans uh, enslaved the Gauls. I don't think there's a lot of Germans walking around sensitive about Italians talking shit about Germans. You know what I mean? Right, right, absolutely. It's just that just understand in different countries, our experience of the United States history was completely different. Right, right. But Liam Neeson has spent a lot of time in the United States. Now, now, no, absolutely. I'm not excusing now his lack of awareness. All these. I mean, when he was in his 20s. Sure, which. Uh, it, I yeah. personally, as so, what I would say is, do I think what he did at the time was sort of reasonable given the 
context that he lived in, sure. And I, and I, by the way, like you, cannot relate to the aspect of it that is, I'm going to find a random person and hurt them. Right. I definitely cannot relate to that. Well, I can relate not to that specific manifestation, but, you know, a lot of people out there probably can't relate to me destroying an entire dorm room. Sure. And, you know, they probably like, well, I can't really relate to that. I don't sure. see what, what good would that do? Yeah. Well, I, so it, but I do understand the basic decompensated rage upon learning that there are people out there who do this sort of thing and are and are harming other human beings and getting away with it actually i take it back man i absolutely can relate to it and i'm being a hypocrite because for example you know when school shootings happen and stuff like that um and i i i absolutely have had the thought in my head that uh oh my gosh if something like this ever happened to someone i know or someone close to me I feel like I would go after gun owners. Okay, there you go. Totally unfair. Totally unfair. Right. So do you want to apologize for just saying that right now? I absolutely <laughs> want to apologize for feeling that way. Now, I do want to say that, that, that what I've just recognized is, again, another example of like, not me syndrome. This is not me and mine. This is not my family. This is not my village. So it's easy to hate. It's easy to to maim and kill and stuff like that. Yeah, I have Irish blood and one of my ancestors, um, you know, I've done a lot of genealogy and it's when we're looking at stories going back to the 1600s, it's harder to really make sure that it's accurate. But I'm, and I've looked at other historians and other genealogists to, to, to figure out whether or not this is actually true. But, like my seventh great grandmother, ninth great grandmother, something was an Irish woman who was stolen by the English. She was at at the shore doing different stuff. Work stolen. Okay. Like she's like fourteen years old. This was Jeez. a thing. Like the British, you know, English sailors would just pull up to places like Ireland, oppressed areas, and they would just kidnap girls because in the United States there there were there weren't enough women in the 1600s. Wow, there were a lot of guys working, a lot of indentured servants, and there weren't any women. And so the these English guys capture my eighth great grandmother. Her name was Honor, Honora Honora, like Honor mm-hmm. O'Flynn. If you O'Flynn. you can actually Google it, Honora O'Flynn. And when the ship pulled into Virginia. The uh, there was a English uh, indentured servant who was an early precursor to essentially a slave, who was looking for a woman, and there weren't women to date at the time, right? Yeah. And he bought he bought he her. bought her for two bushels of tobacco because that was the big right. currency at the time in the states. And then they had. Ten kids, and you know, one of those kids was was one of my ancestors. So, yeah, absolutely, I can viscerally understand the notion that slavery and atrocities know no bounds when it comes yeah. to humans. It just is a matter of power and who has it and who doesn't. And certainly, as you were saying, there's a recency, particularly in this country, uh, not only this country, but definitely this country, to specifically the bl- the white on black abuses, right. Now, 2007, the woman in the Emmett Till case comes forward and says her entire or most of her account was completely false. You don't say. She made it up. 
She made it up. And there's a case right now to like reopen the case that I read on Wikipedia. So I don't know what the, the situation is like that. But so. To, Unbelievable. But it doesn't matter if it was true. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter for, for everyone. One, uh, for sure, you know, defend yourself or tell someone off. Or but make, I mean, like, like cause look at the accusation. Some guy said stuff to me. Right. Or gra- he grabbed her. At and in the, okay, and in the current context, like, I know that we are saying, like, you know, guys, keep your hands off and don't assault women. And, and certainly we are now having debates about whether it's, it's okay to talk to women on the street. Wink, wink. <laughs> but it's never okay to lynch someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so crazy. 2016, Lee Artman, a white, Leah Artman, a white woman, by the way, in Michigan, 25 years old. She, this is just a few years ago. She reported that four black men kidnapped, raped, and beat her for two days. Eventually, it was discovered that she lied about the whole thing, and she oh is, is now spending one year in county jail. 20, Why do you think that happens? Attention? So, like, 2017, unknown. 2017, Nikki Yovino, she claimed she was raped by two university football players. This is actually quite famous. She claimed the two men pulled her into a bathroom in the basement of the house and held her down, and each took turn sexually assaulting her. The two young men lost their scholarships and had to leave school. Later, she admitted she lied to impress a guy that she liked. What? And she was sentenced to a year in prison. So this is a thing. It's still happening. There are still people who... So th- I'm just giving two stories. Of, Think of how terrible this is for actual victims of rape and abuse. Right. So to be clear, the, the vast majority of reports are true. Uh but there is still this thing in our society where we there are people who fetishize or have this like it's one thing to lie about being having been raped it's another yeah. thing to identify two black guys right yeah. and it, and not care that they have horrible consequences befall them right because it's sort of a thing in our society you know there there's even a fetish that some white people have about white men will have about having a cuckold thing with a black, a big black, there's even a term for it or something where anyway, the point is, is like we have this interesting thing in our society where it still is manifesting mm. where we over sexualize black men or make them out to be these animalistic yeah. people without real feelings. They're just like all id, you know, they're aggressive and yeah. sexual and muscly and they have big dongs you know what i mean they're just like the, they're like bulls that are yeah. just running around and you know they just have all this freedom and and you know all these repressed white people are like oh i want that you know because wouldn't right. that be awesome <coughs> <coughs> so anyway and there's a, actually i looked into some of the uh, literature on this phenomenon and <coughs> there's actually a lot of scholarly work in this area wow People will <clears throat> go into uh, a very eloquent writings about how <clears throat> this has always upheld the white patriarchy, even today. Yeah. Because if we establish the notion that black men are depraved animals, then we are justified in our racist attitudes and behaviors, which serve the white patriarchy by keeping black men powerless and marginalized yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, also, there's thing I thought about was – our, you know, our racism has its roots in our history, and we have this huge history in the 1800s and early 1900s of the Victorian era, which very much shamed sex and, 
you know, temperance was the thing you, you wanted, yeah. to, you know, no drinking, no drugs, no, uh, no sex. Even married couples were only supposed to have sex when they are having, when they're going to have a when kid. going to have kids, right. And only, you know, only missionary position and blah, blah. So giving into sex is like giving into bad animalistic uncivilized urges and, and, there was an, so that was one notion. Right. The other notion was that black people were savages and were uncivilized and, and therefore didn't have the same civilized notion of temperance. And so thus, black men must be completely unbridled sexually. That, right. that there was this connection that you know, droves of white people sort of decided upon, right. which is completely untrue empirically speaking that black people have the same drive for sex as white people do um, if anything at the time black people probably were more balanced because white people were beating themselves up about sexuality yeah. uh, maybe more than black people I don't know but so in order to deal with that you have to uh, destroy them sometimes the way you might destroy livestock you know uh, a bull is getting too unruly out there in right. the pasture. Well, you got to put it down. Well, that's the attitude. Well, that, that black guy's getting let out of line. You got to lynch him. Right. You know, all these, all these, and there's other discourses too. So for all these reasons and many, many more, many people reacted strongly when Liam Neeson said that he roamed around looking to kill a random black man, an innocent random black man for the crimes of another black man. It touched on all these old wounds and his response completely did not acknowledge these wounds sufficiently. So, Berto, is Liam Neeson a racist? Uh, I believe that he had, uh, he grew up in a context that had racism around it. I believe he probably had racist feelings, whether he knew it or not. Uh, I believe that he's got some blind spots to sensitivity, sensitive topics in this area, uh, clearly. Um, but if I was grading, great as in a grade, of you know zero being no racism, ten being I don't know Hitler or something. Um, I mean, I'd probably based on every all the accounts and the fact that there's no other like people coming out from like twenty years ago or something. Like that, I'd probably put him at a three. So we have to define what a racist is. Yet we tend to use this term a lot, and I find that it's completely lost its original meaning, or I don't know. So. There's not a good a lot of good working definitions, and I'm going to provide two. So the first one is the official definition, which is the one that I use, which is a person who shows or feels discrimination or prejudice against people of other races or who believes that a particular race is superior. This is the same as sexism or heterosexism or ageism. You know, a person who shows or feels discrimination or prejudice against uh, people regarding their gender or believes a particular gender is superior. This is the definition of all these different isms. So the components are, number one, feels bias. So if you feel bias, you are a racist. If you show bias, you are a racist. If you believe a race is superior, then you are exhibiting racist behavior. I, so to be clear, I believe... Every human is racist. Exactly. And that's what I'm getting to. That's everybody. Yeah. Every single person breathes air. Every single person takes a shit at night or in the morning, depending on where your bowel schedule is. <laughs> and 
everyone is is racist, including all people of color. We have all discriminated. We've all been biased. We've all been prejudiced. I consider myself to be a fairly enlightened person. And yet, due to my upbringing in a racist society, I have exhibited bias, discrimination, prejudice, unfair attitudes, unfair behavior, hurtful behavior based on race, and and so on. Uh, For example, I have this this story. There was this... I don't know why this popped in my head as I was preparing for this episode, but maybe I just need to get it off my chest or something. But this would have been, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And I'm driving in Seattle. And although everyone thinks it always rains in Seattle, it doesn't actually always rain. What it is is it's always cloudy. <laughs> uh, we actually get less rain than a lot of other places. In and less sun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but on this particular night, I'm driving around Rainier uh, Valley and it is raining, raining. I just remember like sheets of rain where it was hard to see. Oh, yeah. And there, and there were pools of water. On where this. your uh, windshield wipers can barely keep up. Yeah. And it's dark and I'm going through a intersection and I, a car hits me. And it, was oh. the, and it was their fault. But it wasn't like it was they, they sort of rubbed up against my bumper. Yeah. You know, it, and jostled my car and I thought, oh, that probably did some damage on my bumper. But it wasn't a lot of other damage. And I stopped, you know, it was clearly their fault. And I looked into their car and I saw two guys sitting in the car who looked, I have no idea, they looked Latino. Okay. And they... We, One of them was me, by the way. But <laughs> yeah. We looked, we, we, you know, got eye contact. Yeah. And I thought, well we're going to have to pull over and deal yeah. with this. And then they just drove off. <gasps> no way. Yeah. So in that moment, and maybe for five minutes after, I thought, oh, typical Hispanic. Oh, my God. You're done. Cancel the podcast. Yeah. We're out of here. Because <laughs> I was upset. I thought, yep. and I didn't know how, it, it felt like they did a lot of damage to my car. Yeah. And I thought, so not only did you hit and run, but we have eye contact. Right. I have your license plate number now. Yep. And and it w- they they took off in a way that I couldn't really follow them. And I should clarify, I don't know if they took off or they just happened to drive away. Like it, it, uh, it, it's hard to tell the difference. You know. What yeah. I mean? That I don't know if that there is a difference. Well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but I don't know. I yeah. mean, are people not aware that they have to stop? And- so so, but. Why would I think typical Hispanic, right? I don't know. <laughs> now, now, what, what, which is like what stereotype? But that's, right. but that's bias. Now, right. I didn't tweet typical Hispanic. I didn't retain that thought. I right. very quickly thought like, well, that's dumb. And I also quickly thought there's a possibility they didn't think there was any damage to my car because they hit my bumper. Right. There was probably more damage to their car than it was to my car. Right. And actually, when I did finally look at my car, there was barely any damage. Right. So, but I'm but I'm such a I'm such a sensitive suburban snowflake that when there's a fender bender, you pull over, you call the cops, you do all the things. You know, there's lots of people just like ah, I'm, you know, it's just a fender bender. Who cares? Move on in life. Yeah. You know, there's there's different ways of thinking about it. So I don't know I don't know what their thinking was. I, I don't know if maybe they were assholes. Uh, maybe they're in debt up to their eyeballs and this is going to destroy them in, right. in a way that, and they're looking at me going, 
Well, he, he half white, half Asian guy. He probably has money. He can probably take. We can't. You know, who knows what was going through their mind? If I yeah. knew them, maybe I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm glad you drove off. That was a good choice." I don't know. But the point there's there's a lot of question marks. But the point is, is at the moment I had a racist bias, totally, which is abhorrent and horrible, and I'm ashamed of it. And I know everyone has had those thoughts, too. And you're opening up wounds, and you shouldn't have talked about it. You should have kept your mouth shut. Well, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm sorry, you know, if, if no, it but, does. But, you know, so as an example, if I were in Bogota and this happened, my thought would be typical Colombian or typical Bogotan, and I'd be a Colombianist. Well, but you are Colum- you're a Colombian. But it doesn't matter. I would be, because I, I sort of... Internalized Internalized Colombian. the fact that people... Which is not true of everyone, in fact, because otherwise the society really would have broken down already. But I have this perspective that a majority of people are constantly thieving and cheating each other. In Bogota. In Bogota, yeah. And, and actually, it's not actually true, but it, but it is a percentage of people. And so it makes it feel like it's everyone, right? The flip side is here, and this happened to me several times, is in, in accidents or when something went wrong. If it was an older white dude, I was always like, oh, Fuck, because in my mind I'm like, this guy's gonna be so anal about every little thing, and like, oh, and if it was like a fender bender or something, it's like they're not gonna be like, okay, cool, let's just call her and shit. It's gonna be like, let's spend 15 minutes detailing every little bit about this, bu-. and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Is that racially biased? Probably. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's stereotyping. It's biased. Now, it, some of it might actually be accurate in terms of predicting other people's behavior. Yeah. Uh, now. Hispanic people in Seattle aren't any more likely to do a hit and run than anybody else, right. just as far as I can tell. So I don't know what was going on in my head. Now, I, I that was me. I have done that, okay? So by definition, I am essentially just as much of a racist as Liam Neeson. And I know, I know by theory and observation and empirical science and talking to other people – that everyone has things like this. So is Liam Neeson a racist? By definition, yes. He showed bias. He felt discrimination. He was a, he did racist things. But society has a different definition of what a racist is. They, they tend, it's much harsher. When they use the word racist, they're usually referring to someone who overtly hates other people of other races and isn't really ashamed of it right. and overtly harms other people based on race. Now, is he a racist by that definition, Berto? Uh, well, I don't. I don't think we have any evidence that that's the case. Well, he could have been if he actually harmed someone. I think not only that. I think when he was young, he probably was. And I would say that given his reaction was not as sensitive as it could have been, he is not uh, helping his case as to yeah. establishing he's not racist. Well, this is why I put him at a three, maybe a four. Like I, I would consider myself a two. Okay, you know, so. Here's the main thing that we'll end with. The main thing here, but the whole Liam Neeson thing, is not whether or not he's a racist or not. It's a silly question that I asked at the beginning of this, of this podcast just to keep you listening. Uh, the main question is, what are we going to do about this, as we've been talking about? Are we going to engage in schadenfreude and laugh at an old racist man, an old coot, and then move on with our lives feeling superior to Liam Neeson when we're fucking not? Or are we going to look inward at our own racist attitudes and behaviors and at how our society continues to marginalize people of color? And lots of societies around the world are 
committing atrocities uh, uh, on various different groups of people. Yep. Research shows that even in our American society, not even in our, of course in our American society, institutions are still engaging in racist practices. For example, black people get harsher sentences than white people do for the same crime when they when they you know factor out all of the variables blah 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 black people get harsher sentences black kids are suspended and expelled more often than white kids even preschoolers when they look at preschoolers black preschoolers are suspended and expelled more for the exact same behavior and the list goes on and on and on there's there's lots of research thousands of of empirical observations pointing in this direction and it's going on today are we going to address that or are we going to laugh at Liam Neeson and move on to the next Twitter outrage? That is my point. That does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. <laughs>